Amen. Yeah, along the lines of great men praising the Lord, it has happened in America. (laughs) The Thanksgiving holiday you just celebrated was because a great man who was the top man in the country decreed in the 1800s that there would be a Thanksgiving holiday, a time to praise God. So wouldn't that be amazing if uh, our current president or our next president made some kind of decree like that? You think that's impossible? It's not impossible. It may not be likely, (laughs) but it's not impossible. It wasn't likely that Nebuchadnezzar would praise, but he did. And so that shows the strength and greatness of God. Sure appreciate those words, Brother Luke. That was very encouraging. Turn in your Bibles to John, the second chapter. I have learned through the years of preaching and studying that if the Lord catches your mind on something, the Spirit of God takes you in a direction, you better go with it. And so we're going to go with that this morning as this has captivated my thoughts. As a matter of fact, I've had this thought for a a number of months and just hadn't quite formulated it into what I wanted to say, but I believe that the Lord has directed me through His Spirit to speak on this this morning. Let's begin reading in John, the second chapter, and the first verse. If you'll read with me. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants... Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. If the math is right, this is going to wind up being probably something like 120 gallons. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was. And here's what we want this morning in the parenthesis there. But the servants which drew the water knew. That's the title of the message this morning. But the servants knew. In verse 3, I want you to notice that it says, when they wanted wine. When we think of wanting something, maybe you think of your Christmas wish list. (laughs) I want this or I want that. That's not the same meaning as what the word wanted means right there. This is the Greek word hysereo, which I think is a root word to our our word hysterical. (laughs) And it means to be inferior or to fall short, to be deficient, to lack or to suffer need or be in want. So this is not them saying, oh, we want some wine. I'd like to have some wine. No, this is them being in want like they are desperate because somebody didn't plan as they should. They wanted wine. Maybe more guests showed up at the wedding than they expected. Maybe the wedding planner, the governor of the feast, did not plan in advance to make sure there was enough. Somebody messed up. And so here is a situation where they were deficient It's not as they're just wishing they had something. No, they are about to be colossally embarrassed because they haven't prepared in advance. So notice that Jesus responds to his mother when she says they have no wine. Mary says to Jesus, 
they're out. They're deficient. <laughs> this is going to be embarrassing. It's going to be a social disaster. And Jesus says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. Now, I don't believe Jesus was being disrespectful to his mother, but I do believe at the least that Jesus was pointing out to his mother, mother, woman, I haven't come to address social issues where somebody failed to plan, <laughs> right? So I'm not here to correct a problem from the governor of the feast and failing to plan. That's not my purpose of being here. I think at the least, that's what he is establishing. I didn't come here to fix social problems where somebody didn't plan in advance to have enough wine. That's not my purpose. But I've always said, you know, it's almost like Jesus just couldn't help himself. <laughs> he was so good and overflowing with love and mercy. It's like he just couldn't help himself. And so he goes on and he turns the water into wine. And when they take that wine... To the governor of the feast, the one who it would have been, the embarrassment would have fallen to because he hadn't planned the way that he should have. He tastes the wine and he said, you saved the best to last. And he didn't know where it came from. <laughs> but the servants knew. Every word in the scripture, every punctuation mark is inspired by the Holy Ghost. And it's important for us to get the point of what is being made there. And the Holy Ghost is making the point to us there that whenever the rest of the world, whenever the rest of the wedding party and the governor of the feast had no clue where this came from, the servants knew. And I want you to understand that as a servant of God, as a servant of the Lord, if you're looking to the Lord and you're engaging in the kingdom of God, you're going to know some things that the rest of the world doesn't know. This is not a thing to make you arrogant and say, well, I know more than they do. If you see what's going on here, it will humble you. See, I don't believe it made the servants arrogant whenever they, yeah, we know what's, what happened here. No, they were humbled by the fact that they were about to be caught. They were going to have to answer to the governor of the feast and say, we're out. And the governor's going to say, why are we out? And they're going to have to say, because you didn't plan. <laughs> you didn't plan like you should. It's going to fall back on the governor of the feast. The servants filled the water pots with water. The servants set the water pots before the Lord. And the servants knew there was water in there. And when they drew it out, it was wine. You see, the servants knew. There's going to be a lot of things in this life that you as a child of God, as a disciple of Christ, as a servant of the Lord, you're going to know some things that the rest of the world does not know. I was having a conversation a few weeks ago with Brother Neil. He and I were talking about the upcoming... Supreme Court case and the abortion situation of how many babies have been murdered by Roe versus Wade. And we were talking about the judgment of God. And nobody knows when the Lord removes his hand of protection from a nation or from a people. But you can have some clues, that's for sure. And I've sat back and just kind of thought, you know, it's possible that the Lord removed his hand of protection from the, our nation Whenever that court case went into effect, when I was a little baby, I was just a babe whenever Roe versus Wade went into effect. And my whole life, I've seen the murder of the unborn. I don't know if that's when it happened. It might have been whenever the death penalty was altered in regard to offenses against children, which was around that same time. Not many people focus on that, but I can tell you that 
indications and clues of when the Lord removes his hand of protection from a society has to do with how they take care of or don't take care of the innocence of that society, the children. Is that not hearken to Nineveh when God looked at Jonah and he said, Jonah, are there not 600,000 or 650,000 of those down in Nineveh that don't know their right hand from their left hand? What's that talking about? It's talking about infants. It's talking about babies. So we can't say, well, the Lord removed his hand of protection in 1970s when Roe versus Wade or when the case went down that eliminated the death penalty for certain offenses against children. We don't know the mind of God. But when you see a society that is tearing itself apart, like our society is tearing itself apart today, you have every indication that to some degree or another, the hand of God's protection has been removed. Okay? This is not to scare you. This is not to scare me. I've told you before that I believe with all of my heart that there were many abused children in their early years, seven, eight, ten years old. There's, I believe there were many abused children when they saw the fire and brimstone coming down upon Sodom that they looked up to the sky and said, Thank you, Lord. No more abuse. That would have been a relief to children who were being abused. And if you don't have any idea about what I'm talking about, all you got to do is read the paper or all you got to do is talk to me sometime because I've been prosecuting in juvenile court for 20 plus years. I've seen the abuse that goes on. They probably looked up and said, thank you, Lord. I don't have to be under the heavy hand of abuse that has come upon me for these years of my life. So the point of our conversation was this. You know, what if God raises up another nation to judge us? What if a China or a North Korea or some other type of nation that is clearly against the principles upon which our country was founded? What if that nation were to be used as a whip (laughs) to whip our nation in the sense of judgment from God as God raised up and allowed the Assyrians to come or the Babylonians to come into into power? You say, well, that's a little bit, you're getting a little on the edge of treason talk, Brother Tim. Well, go read the book of Jeremiah. Okay, I'm not Jeremiah. I don't presume to know those things. But our conversation went along that line. And Brother Neil made this very insightful comment. And I'd never thought about it before. (laughs) He said, you know, if that happened, Brother Tim, would we even understand it and know it? Would the people of our nation say, oh, let's humble ourselves. You know, when coronavirus hit, I thought in my mind, maybe God's people will humble themselves. Maybe they did for a couple days. (laughs) You know, if judgment came upon the land... Would the people of the land even know it? Or would they just be too overcome by the reality of the circumstance than to be able to step back as Jeremiah did, as a small number of people did in the days of Jeremiah, and said, this is the hand of God upon us. It was a small number of people. You think, well, the nation of Israel went into captivity in those days of Jeremiah. The 70 years of captivity, it had been foretold. God said, you're going into captivity seven years, 70 years. Jeremiah preached that message. Jeremiah said, give up because you're going into captivity. And so they didn't give up. They went into judgment. They were completely wiped out and they still didn't get it. Isn't that something? But the servants knew. Are you hearing me this morning? The Daniels knew. The Shadrachs, the Meshachs, the Abednegoes knew. You see, the servants know. The servants here knew that the water was turned into wine, that it was a miracle, the first miracle that Jesus ever did. And therefore, 
they had a different perspective and they had a different experience at the wedding. The governor of the feast stood up and said, I don't know why you saved this for last. Well, that wasn't necessarily true, was it? It wasn't saved for last. They didn't have any. And Christ turned the water into the wine. And they tasted the best wine. That was the best wine that's ever been made. And they rejoiced. The servants knew it came from a miracle. Let me give you a few more examples of this as we consider it. And notice what Mary said as before we leave John 2. Notice it says in John 2 and verse 5, His mother said to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. You think Nike coined the phrase, just do it? No, Mary coined the phrase, just do it. She says, do it. If my son tells you to do it, then do it. And child of grace, in order to be like the servants who knew where the wine came from today, I'm telling you, based on the authority of the word of God, you must do whatever God says. Without question, without wavering, without, you say, well, I don't understand how, you know, this is going to lead to this. Just do it. (laughs) My mom, bless her heart, she's not here this morning, but she would amen this loudly. You know, I'm one of those that have always just kind of had the, uh, just had that opinion. It's just going to work out. You know, you know, I don't know how, you know, mom would be like, well, how are you going to get to this point? I'd be like, it'll work out. <laughs> Listen, that's not a testimony to great faith. That's along the lines of, you know, the book of third Timothy, the first chapter, second verse that says the Lord suffers fools. <laughs> that's more what it's like. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I thought I was going to break the record of being the oldest groomsman in a wedding. Brother John Anthony had asked me to be a groomsman in his wedding. And I thought, man, thats I thought I was the oldest one. Well, I got there, and Lee Whitehead's about a year older than me from McLean Church. And so he I guess he broke the record. But I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm just too old to be a groomsman. <laughs> I just feel like I'm too old. But it is a testimony to the kingdom of God where a young man in his 20s would ask an old man like me, an old grandpa like me, to be a groomsman in his wedding. So... Brother Asher picked up the tux and picked it up in Tuscaloosa. I didn't check the tux before we got over there. We get over there. So I'm getting out of the truck going to get ready for that day of the wedding. And I opened up, just unzipped it and looked. I was like, there's no coat in here. There was no coat in my tux. And I'm already thinking, I'm going to look weird, you know, standing up there with just the vest was in there and the shirt was in there. So I go in and she takes off to men's warehouse. There was one nearby. And she calls me back. And I'm like, there's no way. I called them. They said, we don't keep stuff in stock. And I was like, there's no way they're going to have a, a coat this color and this size. And so she calls me. She says, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and I was thinking, the Lord suffers fools like me. I didn't check it in advance. They got a coat here just exactly like the one. And, and the guy there was like, I can't believe we got this, but it's right here. So I'm like, oh, boy, that, that's passed. You know, everything's great. Now, you know, the Lord suffers fools. I'm going to make it. I told Sister Tracy, I said, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to put the rest of the stuff on. I'm going to meet you and get that coat. So I started getting out, putting the stuff on. No pants. <laughs> no coat, no pants. And I'm thinking, now I'm going to look really ridiculous. So I'm thinking, my goodness. And I'm hearing my mom in the background in my mind going, you know, you should have checked that. <laughs> so anyway, so I drove over there. Lo and behold, they had a pants 34-34. Exact color. Match. I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> So the only thing missing on that coat was a little button right here. The button was torn off of that coat, so I just kind of did this, you know, when I was standing up there. I was probably the happiest groomsman of them all because I didn't have a coat or pants to wear, and all of a sudden, you know, by the grace of God, and I went in there and I, I told the guy, I was like, this is amazing that y'all have this. He said, yeah, it's a miracle that we have it. We don't ever have it. I tipped him a little bit and said, thank you, and went on my way. 
You know, sometimes the Lord suffers fools like me. And then sometimes you just know in your heart and you feel it that the Lord is in the matter. It feels like luck, but there's no such thing as luck. But you just kind of fall into something and you're like, man, that was a blessing to God. And then there's other times that you know it. I want you to look at Mark 4 and verse 35. Mark 4 and verse 35. And this verse of scripture has been in my mind for some time now. I want you to consider this as we read. After Jesus finishes giving several parables, he says in verse 35, Mark 4, And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Now, I ask you this question. If Jesus said, let us pass over to the other side, is there any possibility they're not going to make it to the other side? There's no possibility, right? So if they took the words of Jesus to heart, they should have had an incredibly different experience with what is about to happen. When they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with them other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. This little ship that they were in, it was full of water. And Jesus is on the back and he's asleep because you know why? Because he's God. He's not worried. He knows they're going to go. If that little boat pulls into the other side full of water, they're going to make it to the other side. You get it? And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? That's a song that we sing, you know. Master, carest thou not that we perish? You see, they're blaming him. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you see the boat is full? Don't you see the wind? You're back there asleep at the wheel, so to speak. You're back there and you don't even care what's going on. What had Jesus said? If they were following the path of the servant, if they were following the path of doing what God said to do and listening to his word, you know where they should have been? I could picture, and when I thought about this and and pictured what was going on here, Peter or one of the apostles or all the apostles, they should have been sitting up on the bow of that boat. They said, boys, here comes a storm. You remember the Lord said, we're going to pass over to the other side. So let's get up to the front and let's watch this thing and let's see what it does. And let's, because we know we're going to the other side. And they, I could just picture them sitting on the bow of the ship, on the front of the ship and looking at the lightning and looking at the storm and the waves going up and down. Woohoo, here we go. We're going to the other side. This storm can't stop us. That sounds like a little bit reckless, doesn't it? But if they were relying on the words of Jesus, let us go to the other side, they could have sat on the front of that ship and laughed in the face of the storm. You hear me? Laughing in the face of the storm. He said, that sounds kind of crazy. They, I'm not saying that Jesus is standing right here and he says, you, Tim, are going to get through this and to the other side in terms of whatever you're dealing with right now. Okay? Now, ultimately, we know that the Lord has said, you're going to pass to the other side. He said that to you and he said it to me. You're going to pass on over to heaven. You're going to make it because he's made sure you're going to make it. But in the storms of life that you face from day to day. And I'm not saying that Jesus is sitting there saying, to you, now, this is how it's going to work out. But in this circumstance, he said, this is how it's going to work out. We don't always know that the coat and the pants are going to be at the store. <laughs> right? But he said in this circumstance, you will make it to the other side. So they could have sat on the front of that boat and just laughed at the storm. (laughs) Look at this. We're going to ride through this thing and we're going to laugh at it because Jesus Christ, our Savior, said we will pass to the other side. Look at all the water in the boat. Who cares? He said we're going to pass to the other side. The servants would know that if they were listening to their master. You see? Now... You say, Brother Tim, if he was just here to tell me that I was going to get on the other side of this storm, 
then I would do that. Well, I've already told you that He has promised you. He has promised by the blood. He's promised by the resurrection that you're going to endure and pass on from this very storm of life that you live in. You're going to make it to heaven. You're going to the other side. So whatever you face, I don't care if it is a boat that that you're rocking up and down on. I don't care if it is a sickness or if it is some trouble or some trial. I don't care what it is. He has promised you that you will make it to the other side. You're not going to stay in that trial forever because time passes on. And you're not going to fall to the extent that you fall out of the hand of God. Praise God. We don't want to be like those disciples in that ship who blame Jesus and said, don't you care? Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you care? Many people have done that. You understand? Lord, don't you care that we're enduring another variant that's coming? Don't you care, Lord? Don't you care over the times that we've been through and the trouble that we've seen and the chaos? Lord, don't you care? Don't ever say, Lord... Don't you care? Because I assure you that He does care. He cares about you. And just because trouble endures and the night endures for a season, I'm telling you the morning's coming. The morning's coming. The morning of the day star is coming where all of this, as the song says this this morning that I quoted from, all of this will pass away. And it will just be a distant memory. You say, that's great, Brother Tim, and that's pie in the sky. But what about here and now? The same thing applies to us here and now. The servants knew who had turned the water into wine. These servants should have known that Jesus said, you're going to pass to the other side. They should have been on the front of the ship saying, hallelujah, praise God, this storm is nothing. You see? They should have done what Mary said. Whatever he says, do it. Look at Mark, the 14th chapter. This is where they were gathered a few nights before the crucifixion. And this was, as I've referred to this before affectionately, this was the all-star feast, the all-star cast at the feast. You know, you had all these different players that were there. If you read the book of John, you'll see Lazarus was there. You'll see Martha was there serving. You'll see Simon the leper, who'd been healed of his leprosy, was hosting them. On and on the list goes. Peter, the, the mouthpiece of the apostles. You had Judas, the greatest traitor of all time. And then the one that steals the show. Is little nobody, little sister Mary. She's a nobody. And it says in verse 3 of Mark 14, Being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he said at meat, there came a woman. That's Mary. You can read in John and other places that that's Mary. She came having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. She broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves, specifically Judas, who was a thief, Why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence, a year's worth of salary, and had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. (laughs) And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do good to them. But me ye have not with you always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Listen. Of all that great all-star cast that was present there. It's only this little girl. Who understood the full impact of what was coming. She had listened to Jesus. 
when he said, I must go to Jerusalem. I must be betrayed into the hands of men. I must give my life as a ransom for many. She listened. I'm going to die and be buried. And after three days, I will come again. (laughs) She listened. She knew it was coming. She knew that the storm clouds of Calvary were gathering overhead. And that at any point, at any time, the Son of God was going to allow Himself to be taken into the custody of the wicked hands of men and the wicked Sanhedrin. She got it. She listened. She understood what He was saying. And so she comes with her little alabaster box of perfume. Now you may notice that there's some women that came after He was buried with their spices to anoint Him. They were too late. Mary, the servant of God, she knew. The men sitting around there, the people sitting around there didn't know. Mary knew it was coming. So she anoints the Lord. You understand? The time to serve God is now. It's not some future pie-in-the-sky moment whenever everything's going to be all right. These were real people with real troubles, real issues, real emotions. And look at what Mary did. She listened. And as a servant of God, she came and did everything that she possibly could do. She hit the maximum of her discipleship as she anointed Jesus. I'll share with you a little poem that comes from the devotional Springs from the Valley. It says, there is no fragrance like that of the alabaster box that Mary brought to anoint Jesus. And child of grace, whatever your alabaster box may be, there is no fragrance that can be more enjoyable or beautiful or loving to the Lord than what you bring and sacrifice to Him as a servant of God. The poem says, I shall not pass this way again. That was Mary's one chance. I shall not pass this way again, but far beyond earth's where and when, may I look back along the road where on both sides good seed I sowed. I shall not pass this way again. May wisdom guide my tongue and pen, and love be mine, that so I may plant roses all along the way. I shall not pass this way again. Grant me to soothe the hearts of men, faithful to friends, true to my God, a fragrance on the path I've trod. You think Mary left a good smell? A good fragrance? I think she did well with her little bit of vapor that she had for the short period of time that she was here. She went to the maximum. Why? Because she was a servant and she knew. She knew it was coming. As we close, look at John the 19th chapter. This struck me like a ton of bricks. In John the 19th chapter, I want you to notice in verse 25. And ask yourself the question, did they get it? Were they servants? Did they understand? Did they know where the wine came from? Did they know that they would make it through the storm and pass to the other side? Look at John 19 and 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, His mother. His mother is standing there. And His mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw His mother, He's on the cross, and the disciples standing by Him, whom He loved. You know who that was? That was John. So what we've got here is we've got Mary, His mother, and we've got Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and we've got Mary Magdalene, the three Marys, and then we have John there with them. John the Apostle of Love, the one that lived the longest of the Apostles. He's there at the foot of the cross. 
Could it be that Mary, as she stood there, she didn't, they didn't try to attack and take him down. Mary understood what he was there for. She'd grown up, she'd had him grow up in her house and she'd seen what he had done. And Mary knew that he was there to do something incredible. And she listened, just like Mary, the little sister of Lazarus, knew that he was going to the grave. The servants knew it. Child of grace, the servants knew. You see? You see, the grave, once you're gone, it's too late. It's too late to praise Him. Psalm 115 and 17 says, The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. It's too late when you're gone. You may be gone this afternoon. You may be gone tomorrow. And it's too late to praise Him when you're gone. The Lord commands praise now. And the servants of the Lord that see who turned the water into wine. That know that He says we will pass to the other side. That understood like Mary that He was going to the grave. That He was going to pay for the sins. And went ahead and anointed Him in the most precious and beautiful way. And we still talk about her today. It's the living that praise the Lord. Do you suppose that as Mary stood in front of the cross... Watching her son be treated so cruelly. You suppose she understood? <laughs> yes, she understood that was what he was there for. And as bad and as hurtful as it was, she understood. There was a man named Samuel Rutherford who was a Scottish dissenter, Presbyterian in the 1600s. He wrote the well-known work Lex Rex, which was the law and the prince. Got him in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and it says that whenever... He would write letters from the prison at Aberdeen in England. He would write letters from the prison that every time he wrote the letter, he would say this in the letter, written from God's palace in Aberdeen. <laughs> Did you catch that? He referred to the prison as God's palace. I tell you, that's an attitude. I don't think we have a clue about that kind of an attitude. As he was in prison wrongfully for believing truth and spreading truth, he signed off by saying, Samuel Rutherford, God's palace, Aberdeen. As Brother Luke was preaching to us about the three Hebrew children this morning, who among that crowd believed that, oh, well, they're, they're probably going to be spared from the fire when they're thrown in? Who among that crowd believed that? Who? They did. The servants did. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believe that. You understand, child of grace, that your life, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your life is not more precious than your service to God. You hear me? Whatever you endure in this life and what you face is not more precious than service to God. He's worthy. You say, well, how can we follow that example? Because Christ's life was not more precious than what He came to do. You see, He laid it down. See, the servants knew. A few weeks ago, I put an article in the paper for Thanksgiving. And I tried to do something just a little bit different. And in that article, I issued a challenge. They actually asked me to put it on the... They were going to put it on the front page, at least in the Northport Gazette. The lady had contacted me and said, we need a front page article. I was like, I'm game. <laughs> and so the article was called a Thanksgiving list. And, you know, we have Christmas lists. We've got to-do lists. We've got honeydew lists. Husbands, right? And, you know, you got all these lists, but what about a Thanksgiving list? And I issued a challenge in that article. I said, if you're out there and you're reading this, if you make up a Thanksgiving list, would you please contact me? It'd be so encouraging to know. I shared some of my Thanksgiving list. That the primary thing on my Thanksgiving list was to be a beneficiary of the covenant of redemption. <laughs> That's my primary thing. And so some time went by. 
I really didn't expect to hear from anybody. You know, when you write in the paper like that, I can really seriously count on two hands the number of times that I've heard from people. Maybe nine, maybe ten times. And sometimes it's not too good, is it, Brother Luke? <laughs> sometimes it's some negative stuff that you get. So Brother Asher and I were on a trip down in Florida on Monday. We were about to pull into this place, and the phone rang. And a very, very elderly lady said, Hello. <laughs> and she was hard of hearing. I tried to, you know, tried to talk with her, and she said, I'm trying to reach Brother Tim. I said, well, this is him. You got him. She said, I'm just calling to tell you about my Thanksgiving list. I said, well, who is this? Because she sounded a little bit familiar. She said, this is Pelly Springer, who was Jack Springer's widow. He was a relative of ours. Some of you know him or remember him. 97 years old. I was just about in tears, and you asked Brother Asher, it took me about 10 minutes to tell her the mailing address. You know, she said, I said, box 270. She said, 272727. She couldn't get it. We finally got, I said, I'm not losing this one. I said, Miss Pelly, if you'll mail me your Thanksgiving list, I will frame it. She's the only person I heard from. She's 97 years old. Think about that now. If that's not God speaking to me, Maybe he's speaking to you about that. The only person I heard from out of thousands of readers was a 97-year-old dear, dear old saint of God. The servants know. You understand what I'm saying? I don't care if the servant's 97 years old. I don't care if the servant's five years old. As a servant of God following the Lord, you're going to know some things. You're going to know who turned the water to wine. You're going to know that he says you're going to get to the other side no matter what storm comes. And as you and your heart of hearts, like Mary, stood there in actuality, in reality, viewing the cross of Christ with her son on it. As you view Christ in your heart of faith, in our eye of faith, you're going to know that he was there for you. As tragic as it was, he was there for you to pay for your sins. The servants know. Do you know? Are you coming in inferior as the apostles did? Where they, Jesus said, where's your faith? He says, you're acting like you have no faith. We don't want to be in that category. We want to ride the storm, laughing in the face of the storm. What does the song say? I view the monster death and smile, for he has lost his sting. You see, if you're a servant of God, you can do that. I close with this Thanksgiving list from Miss Pelly. Uh, she says in very shaky, shaky handwriting, She says, Tim, every morning I thank God for a good night's rest and taking care of me. I'm thankful for giving a new day and to help me to be a blessing along the way by some deed, a call, a kind word, or just a simple smile. I'm thankful for my loving family. I'm thankful most of all for a Savior that died for my sins So I can have a place in that beautiful place we read about that's made for the pure and free. Thank you, Tim, for letting me share a word. My blessings are so many, I cannot count them all. Lovingly, Pelly Springer. (laughs) I believe those are the words of a servant. (laughs) I believe those are a word of a servant who knows who turned the water into wine. Who knows who is going to take you to the other side. Who knows when they view the cross of Christ and the tragedy that it was. And all of that anguish and all of that suffering. 
God has secured your place in heaven. So when the next trouble comes, it may be this afternoon, it may be tomorrow, it's coming. It's coming. The next mandate, the next political issue, the next riot, the next whatever. When it comes, look to the Lord. Know something different. The governor of the feast, the governors of the feasts of this world have no clue. They're clueless. But the servants knew. (laughs) May the Lord bless us to be servants.